Welcome back to Principles with Corey and Logan. We got another awesome and exciting episode for you guys today. We've got Link Kroger. Link, he is very passionate about fighting social inequality. So I know this is going to be a great conversation. And uh, it, which that that passion that he's got has actually led him to leverage his 35 years of enterprise technology experience to create a creative solution to help level uh, out the playing field. And I think he's doing a lot of creative and innovative things. So Link, he is the president of Night Moves. Uh, they are a limiting profit company creating the next generation of elite technology professionals through extensive training and technology disciplines with an intentional focus on including Native American, rural, and urban underserved communities. And I think this is going to be a great conversation. So Link, welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. Hey, Corey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited to jump in with you. Um, many of the many of our listeners, they know that we're part of a, a nonprofit. Um, and I'm interested in finding out more about the limiting profit company and some of the innovative solutions that you're doing. But I really like to hear uh, some of your background. This is where you're at now, but how did you get to where you are now? Lee? Take us on that journey. Yeah, well, thanks. I, um, you know, growing up in a small rural town in Iowa um, back in the eighties, um, you know, I, back in the old Atari, you know, most of your listeners probably aren't going to remember the Atari and the Commodore days, but, you know, I knew my career was going to be in technology Um and um, started out in the military. So I appreciate your recent episode from uh, Bill Toady. It was a really great insight from him on, you know, re-entrance and just as different aspects of what it's like coming out of active duty and, you know, re-entering the workforce. Um, but, you know, I started there, but even when I was in the military, I was writing Fortran and, you know, doing technology work, but, um, and that led into consulting to working for, you know, Seattle-based software company um, to, probably half of my career has been in consulting, meaning going into companies and helping them either grow their business or improve their efficiencies. Right. And then a lot of entrepreneurial work too, with startups, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's always technology involved, but whatever you do, you know, gosh, I mean, I, when I say this number, it's, it's actually pretty realistic, but I've probably implemented over a billion dollars of solutions in my 35 year career. Right. Um, and, you know, when you implement an HRIS system or, you know, you pick it, whatever it is, uh, and I've done a ton, ton of packages, I've done a custom, custom development, is whenever you implement something, you have to learn the business, right, and what's valuable. So technology is a neat area. It's not just, unless you're just truly just, you know, a coder, um, and even then you're going to learn it to a degree. But, um, but you know, I've really got to learn a lot of industries. So, I, I spent my 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 career doing that, and um, the last eight years was was consulting again, helping companies. And I'd, I'd gotten a passion because our primary competitor, the company I was working for, was offshoring. And I was like, well, you know, the time's coming where we're going to actually start helping the people who need the help the most in our country instead of just shipping these jobs to cheap labor offshore, right? And we're going to really, because, you know, you look at statistically, if you're um, you know, from an urban, if you're low income minority from an urban area, if you're from rural Native American, your odds of getting a four-year degree are much less. And then your odds of a career are much less, something professional, right? So I, was, um, I, I basically took all of my experience in, in the professional industry and looked at the shortcomings of why aren't more people getting in, right? 
Well, and one is just why are, you know, there's about a one and a half million shortage of computer science workers every year in the US, right? And that's another reason that drives um, companies offshore, right? Is there just isn't the talent to get. But we, we, do, we do a pretty awful job getting people in the system who need the help. So basically very entrepreneurial, um, how do you go in and solve these problems that other people aren't solving? And I'll, I'll share some of those stories with you of the ones that are interesting in this as we go. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, uh, so something that came to me as I was listening to you, you've got a lot of experience in the technology field, and and I'm sure over the years you've seen technology change. I'm I'm sure, and just something I'm kind of curious about as an entrepreneur who works with other entrepreneurs and and leaders. So, um, is there is there a technology right now or, or something that uh, maybe a small business owner, you know, maybe you've got 10 to 20 employees or, or a small team. Is there a technology out there right now that they need to be aware of or maybe even maximize right now to help them grow their business? Anything, any thoughts on that? Well, you know, if it's a small business, there's probably, you know, I would stick to the packages, to the Shopify's, right? To what are, what are the what are the engines you can plug into right that are already there? You're you're obviously probably not going to write a custom software development solution, you know that small. Um, but you know, but understand your market. Understand, you know, like if I was assessing a business and helping them, I'd come in and I'd say, okay, how do we locally? How could technology be leveraged to boost you locally, regionally, and nationally? Right, and just say, you know, how might we do that? Um, and and I would look at each business. You know, and some are going to apply and some aren't going to apply, but um, but what's the cheapest, and it's not just cost, but it's also, how do you support it, right? Because most small business owners really, uh, you, like on one of your podcasts you talked about, right? You talk about your strengths and your weaknesses and stay away from your weaknesses. Most entrepreneurs, right? Um, and I'm generalizing to a large degree, you know, like you said with you, you're not high, you're like a two on administration, right? Um, you know, so, oh, <laughs> right, negative. How, how do you use technologies that aren't going to be expensive to support too? Because um, but anyway, you know, and, and since I'm back from the consulting industry, right, I can give too long of answers. Um, so because it always depends and you have to get into it. But um, but I'd really understand is there, you know, I'm going to talk to my customers, right? And and the people who aren't my customers, it should be, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is it that could make me more visible or, or, you know, something. But there's so much technology out there that can help you, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, even going into that answer you you gave right there, uh, thinking into into that, focusing on our strengths, shoring up our weaknesses, you can shore up those weaknesses with some of the technology you're talking about, right? So how do you leverage some of the technology to to maybe uh, shore up those weaknesses where you're not spending that time on that? There's so much technology out there that, that can do some of that for you, some of the automated processes and all of that, where you're not necessarily hands on to it, where it allows you to Focus on the things you're good at, right? Yeah, look at your weaknesses. Like there's a, it's surprising how many small companies don't invoice for their work ever. (laughs) Like service companies, like plumbers, you know, somebody goes, hey, I love to, you know, HVAC or I love to do this. So they start their own business, but they don't invoice. And I, you know, you call them and you go, are you ever going to invoice me for this? And they're like, ah, and you're like, okay, you know, you could get a tool for that, right? Yeah. 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 That, that's, that's, uh, you know what, that for me, whenever I first opened up our business, that was a, a different thing, um, was actually invoicing because I, I like doing what I did. I like the skill, and, you know, I'm a nice person. So I don't want to, I don't want to send somebody an invoice or I forget about it, but in the reality, uh, you get paid for, for what you do. Right. And, um, and, and, 
on the opposite end of that, you're talking about, are you going to invoice me? I want to pay you for your service, right? So interesting. You, you made a statement about uh, colleges and universities. And um, I've got a friend right now. He was I was talking to him last week and they've got a daughter that's applying for colleges. And man, the price for for a four-year degree is kind of outrageous. And I know that's actually one of the things that you you kind of touch on is maybe some strategies to address those rising costs. And uh, any thoughts on that? Like any, any, any recommendations for families that are looking at that or any creative solutions for, for some of that? Um, yeah. And, and you know, if uh, I've seen different studies showing that it, it's as much as it could be 5 million and it could be 20 million as far as the actual since COVID, how many people are not entering college now that, that, you know, based on what we're, so that's creating a lot of constraints right out there in the system of, again, not enough skilled talent. What are people going to do? Um, but I can, I'll share our, our approach with you. And again, um, you know, looking at, so for us being a program on helping people who need the help the most, right? Again, urban underserved, Native American, rural is, is, you know, you've got to look at it and go, okay, how do you get people interested in something they don't know what it is? Because like in 30 minutes, we can literally walk into, if we went to your local high school, literally I could walk into your high school, talk to the students in that high school, and within half an hour, 30 to 40% of the kids would be saying, hey, I'll sign up for that software development course next semester, right? If a college goes in, the typical hit rate for them is one to 2%. Hmm. And the difference is, we know what's valuable to them. We don't come in speaking what's valuable to an adult. What's valuable to them? How do we get them attracted? What are their interests? And also, we don't try to get them to sign their life away, right? Just sign up for one course. Take that one course. And then um, individuals complete a total of typically seven computer science courses to see if this is for them, right? Where they can go, do I really like? Because you should be experimenting, right? You know, the great thing is once you get older like us, you go, you know, you really don't determine what you love, you discover it. So go try it, experiment. Oh, I like that. I didn't like it. You know, I was good at this. And, um, you know, try a variety of things. Because, you know, the biggest kind of misnomer of technology careers is that they're very math-centric, right? I mean, it, the industry's changed so much in 35 years. It's much more now about emotional intelligence and your ability to work with a team, right? Um, you're, you're some of the best hires I've made over the last five years were like foreign language students, right? Or sociology students, right? That couldn't get jobs. Um, but, but with our program, you take these seven courses, typically starting your, your junior year of high school. And then when you complete those seven computer science courses, if it's for you, then we have a full um, six month program that you take those skills you learned, but now you apply them to real world situations. And here's where I'll do another entrepreneurial kind of add is, so what we do is, and this is one of the reasons we're so good at drawing in uh, young people is when we start out talking to students, we don't talk about being a training program. We go and say, hey, we're the we're the Silicon Valley of social benefiting solutions, meaning we create innovations and technologies that that make the world a better place for the people who need it. Right. Whether that's um, uh, hunger or homelessness or drug addiction or helping women and get out of sex trafficking, disaster relief, anything that's a 501c3 cause right? We will target those impactful solutions and say, well, how do we innovate that? How could we approach it? Just like if you were going to start an Uber or an Airbnb or an Amazon, right? What's the technology you need to solve that problem, right? Because I mean, those are all technology problems, 
right? That I just mentioned from Airbnb, Uber to you know Amazon, but you're you're not solving a technology problem, right? You're just using technology to solve a human problem, and um, that's what we'll do. And we we give some examples to the students, and they go, "Wow, this is amazing!" Then you know that somebody's actually focused on helping other people, right? And um, and you talked about that in one of your recent episodes too, right? About character and and successes when you're focused on the success of others, right? And and you know people really that's not just a like a tagline you were talking about, right? That's what's in us deep, right? That's part of our purpose and our meaning. So when you show young people who haven't lost it into the daily routine yet, routine yet, right? I just go, I get my paycheck, I I live life. They're they're ready to go be who they were created to be and to release their potential, right? So when they start hearing this, they go, well. That's amazing. And we say, well, yeah, we're like, we're like the green piece of technology. So if this is interesting to you, well, join us and join a team, right? And build one of these because would you rather, you know, for employers, would you rather hire someone who just finished their education or would you hire someone who proved they could do the job? Well, that's an easy question, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we do is you don't graduate our program until you demonstrate that you could walk onto a team at Google or Microsoft or pick the company. And on that first week, add velocity to a, a software development team. And, you know, so velocity, right? That's just the word that is the, you know, the, the new word of productivity, but um, for, for software development, but our graduates, what differentiates them is they literally start a team and they're adding value. Whereas, you know, most four-year computer science degree graduates, they take a lot of training, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not knocking four-year degrees. I have a four-year computer science degree, right? But it's, very different. And this is not a code camp either, right? It's um, a very unique program. But what students then will say is, that, well, that's great, Link, that you've got this really cool thing, but we don't know how to do technology. Well, exactly. Next semester, sign up for this course. It's free to you. See if you like it. If you don't like it, don't take anymore. If you do, take the next one, right? And if you find yourself, you took all the prerequisites, then apply to come to our program. And what's unique about our program too is that it's about $20,000 for our training to actually take people through the full training. But you don't, if you get accepted and you meet our criteria, you don't pay for it up front. You don't pay for it until you get your job. And there's a job guarantee that if you don't get the job, you don't pay for it because companies literally are lining up. And I can't share it yet because it's a big reveal in March, but the foremost um, voice of credentialing of, of they're, they're coming out with their first round of what, programs can companies use in, as alternatives to four-year degrees. And we're being named as one of the first ones ever announced um, for companies because the challenge companies have is, you know, the, the biggest push right now in social equity is not requiring four-year degrees. But companies are really struggling because HR departments, right, that's their go-to as well. Four-year degree or equivalent experience. Equivalent experience usually means eight-year of experience. Well, it's two years for every year of college. So why does anybody ever break that barrier, right? Who doesn't get a four-year degree? So um, they're just being hammered, these companies. It's, you know, systemic racism because, you mean, you're telling me somebody can do the job, can't get the job just because they don't, they're, they're not a paper tiger, right? They don't have that that degree, right? But they could do the job. So um, companies are really looking for solutions. And there aren't, I don't know many providers like us. I really don't know any. I'm sure there's a ton out there. We didn't take the 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 road of okay. How do we give somebody something minimalistic, right? We said we don't want people to hire our graduates because they're you know low income or minority or from a, you know you know Native American or distressed community. 
We want them to hire them because they're the best talent on the market. And that's the only way we're going to do this. So companies will say hiring your graduates are like hiring a four-year degree graduate after they have six months experience on the job, right? Which is a pretty big statement. So we can show that companies will save $25,000, $35,000 hiring our graduates over four-year computer science graduates. And by the way, within six months of graduating our program, they have no debt. Because the third leg of what we do is now they do like a, an internship for one of our clients. And during that time, instead of them getting all the money that they would have made in that six months, it pays off their training costs, right? So basically a year, a year and a half out of high school, you can be making 60,000 a year with no debt, or you could go the path, you know, of a four-year degree, probably come out around 60, 80,000 in debt, have a long time to pay it off. But also look at this, you're starting work two to three years sooner. So do the math there, right? You don't come out with that massive debt you start work two to three years sooner where you're making, you know, probably 60, then 70,000, right. Or more a year. So you do the math and, you know, and, and really, and I've kind of had, this is like a big run on sentence, Corey, but the, uh, the, when we talk to our demographic of who we support and we say, well, why aren't you going to college? The number one answer we hear is not, I don't have the money, right. It's, I, I just have no desire to go sit and memorize and, you know, for four years in a room, you know, that's just death to me. I need to get out and do something. So a program like ours where you're actually building real world solutions and part of a team, right? And then you go from doing work for nonprofits to doing work for real companies and it's kinetic and it's active. That's very attractive to young people and they get to go make the world a better place. So if there's any place you want to dig into questions there, I know I covered a lot of territory. Wow. No, you know, that I was just sitting in uh, taking that in because how powerful that is. I, I'm just going to repeat back to you some of the things that I heard because uh, I, I don't want to skip over that. Um, because when you meant there's I wrote down a statement, you said you don't determine what you love, you discover what you love. And I don't know how many times I've talked to people um, and I probably even said it, going into college, you don't know what you you want to do. You're just in college. And uh, I went to college to be a physical therapist assistant. And I, I did that for several years, but I no longer do that. Right. Uh, I don't my wife. Neither, uh, she's a doctor of physical therapy, but she's no longer in in the uh, in the industry. And uh, so what I heard you say is, you know, you come in and you, you know, junior year, you allow people to or students to try it out, to discover, hey, is this something we want to do? OK, if it is something you want to do, here's the next step. It's a six month kind of program. And even in that um before you can even graduate, you demonstrate you're competent at it. And there's, there's this, go for it. Yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, you have two sides of the discovery, right? Yeah. They need to decide if they like it, they have a passion for it, if they're good at it. And we need to decide, are they good enough, right? Yeah. Can, are they really comprehending? Because we'll actually test them to make sure. And then ideally, they take at least one course a semester, their junior and senior year, Um which knocks out four, then they only have three courses left to take after high school or if they want to take them in the summer, that's up to them. But, you know, it's a two-way discovery, right? Of, uh, but, you know, if you don't like it, then try something else, right? There's so many different options to try out there. Yeah, and and, and I guess that's why I think it's so powerful, uh, especially starting in the junior year uh, too, like uh, before you make that college decision, and and I guess you could still do the college thing if you wanted to, but, but I, I love the thought of, Hey, let's test it out. You, you know, you kind of kind of like you got this idea. Give it a go. Right. This is what it is. 
Uh, and if it's not for you, that's all right. Go on to do, go on to do whatever else it is you want to do, but you may yeah. discover. Or wait till you get to college and then add one or two more years to college and rack your debt up even higher. Cause you, you yeah. know, it's, it's not a freebie there when you, yeah. you know, go, Oh, I need to switch majors. Right. Which is super common. Yeah. And that's powerful. So, uh, you know, I've been thinking for a while, what are some creative solutions to, uh, because I'm an entrepreneur, right? Like, uh, and now too, the way the world is working, you can go learn pretty much anything you want to uh, through YouTube and and courses and workshops and those kind of things. And and I'm all in on education as well. But um, there's got to be some kind of solution. I love what you guys are doing. I think that is a a tremendous solution right there. And um, and helping people discover what they're what they're called to do too. I love that. Yeah. And think about if we had a team of, you know, 12 people and we were focused on whether it's drug addiction or you pick it, right? A problem in your region or how do you, because, you know, nonprofits really don't talk to each other, right? Oh, I'm finding that out. <laughs> it's uh, it's a really, uh, so I started Night Moves as a nonprofit and it's Night Moves like a chess piece, not like the Bob Seger song. Um, is uh, I started as a nonprofit, but my attorneys kept saying, well, Link, you can't do that as a nonprofit. It's not legal. And I go, well, if I can't do it, it's not going to work. And I'm not doing this to run a nonprofit, right? I'm doing it to create an outcome. So flipped it over to that limiting profit company or really social benefiting model, um, which we're basically running a company as a nonprofit, but we can do whatever we legally want with no IRS regulation, right? It's just, you can't take donations. Um, but that's okay because our model is, our services side of the business is what pays for our, you know, our philanthropic work. Um, but, you know, imagine us coming into, you know, Mississippi or something national even and just saying, you know, you've got these five nonprofits that are really focused in the same area, but they don't talk to each other, but there's all these synergies. What if we created, um, you know, a glue between them that would multiply their impact to get them to work together that they're just missing? And there just aren't the funds out there for, you know, technology for nonprofits. So we'd build it for them for free, right? And that'd be what our students, because you've got to have, you know, the difference between education and, you know, experiential learning is education is classroom, right? We still have our seven courses you take that are classroom, right? You're just knowledge, but now you need to go apply it in life, right? You need to build something. You need to have real users that get angry and that, you know, push back and go that, you know, and have emotional dialogue, right? And, and you're trying to solve something and you have problems. You need something that goes into production. Can you really create scalable, secure, you know, code, right? and all these aspects. Um, but but by doing and solving real problems for real people, but now you've got, I mean, how many people, I, I ask this all the time and I tell the teachers, okay, close your ears for a second. Um, and I ask the students, have you ever felt like you've changed the world and made it a better place with your homework, right? So you think about a student, now other than you're preparing yourself, right? And learning the skills, so I'm not against homework, right? But, but point being is if you're in college or, you know, and you write, a computer science program, you write your program as your homework and you turn it in, the professor grades it and throws it away. Okay, now you did it because you had to do it. And, um, but when you're doing something and you can see like homeless or you can see the, 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 the lives of people that are stuck in addictions or all these things and you see, wow, what I'm doing is actually gonna help these people. It, and then you're working with real people and it's really going into production. Your level of, emphasis and learning, right? Your climate for growth, it's just totally different 
than sitting in a room going, okay, for, for a semester, I'm going to study, I'm going to learn, I'm going to memorize it, I'm going to brain dump it, and I'm never going to use it again, right? And it's such a different, I mean, you are so well prepared by the time you get done with our program, because um, you're it's kind of like the military training, you're out there really doing the job, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's really powerful. I, I like that. Now, you you, you kind of buzzed by, buzzed by just a little bit, the uh, not, not fully nonprofit, but partial prize. Talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, you touched on it some. Um, tell me how that works a little bit. Not necessarily a nonprofit, but you still partial profit. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's in most of the United and, and there's still, I, I think it's only around 20 states. I could be wrong on that. But um, there's a model of company you can create called a social benefiting company. Some states might call it an L3C instead of an LLC, right? Or a social benefit corporation. Um, but the idea is, you have a primary mission that's above making money, right? It's, you know, kind of like a nonprofit would, right? You'd have a mission statement. So ours would be, you know, the socioeconomic advancement of urban underserved Native American and rural communities, right? And, um, and you know, you can still make a profit, but, you know, you're typically making a small single digit number. You're not trying to make, you know, 10%. And our focus on actual dividends, like, because uh, we're a C corporation and we pick C corporation over an L3C model or LLC model because it's actually the better tax model for doing a nonprofit mission as a for-profit because we never intend and we'll see if this changes, but to actually pay dividends, right? So we take our money, we take those profits and we'll pay our taxes on whatever the profits were, but then the remaining profits either going to be retained earnings and I'm not trying to turn this into a CFO session, right? But, no, no, no. This is good. This is good. Yeah. But retained earnings, the purpose of that is you need cash to grow, right? And you're either going to borrow it or you're going to retain it from your past profits. So you're, you're never going to be a nonprofit, for-profit company, probably extremely difficult, right? Because you got to make enough, have enough, unless you don't plan on growing, right? And then you could do it. Um, and then you have the money that you take to put towards your social benefiting mission, right? And most companies, you know, normal companies that are for-profit, then would say, well, we make our dividends or if you're an LLC, you make distributions, right? Well, our intention of this company is to make those distributions. So it's 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 working for a company as a nonprofit, right? For the most part. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I think that's great. And uh, th there are several listeners um, that listen and they're part of kind of social movements that, that want to make an impact higher than simply making a profit. I mean, obviously, you know, earning earning income and those kind of things and making a profit. But uh, they're that deep core part of them is is greater than just simply a profit. And I, I figure what you just said right there may be of interest. Um, so it's really, really Interesting right there. I know I'd usually do this at the very end, but I would love to just take a moment. If if somebody's interested, maybe they've got a kid in, in uh, junior, uh, that's a junior in high school, or, or maybe they're really interested in finding out more about, you know, the program you offer or some of those kind of things. How do they connect with you on that? So if you go to nightmoves.org, and again, it's night like the chess piece, and you can um, click on the community tab. So what, what's really unique about our program is we're community centric. We're not an online program. We're not like a, you know, it's, so let's say we were, and I'm just using Tulupo because, and I, did I pronounce the name right? Tupelo. I, Tupelo. I knew I had it off a little. I transferred to Yeah, that's letter. all good. 
<laughs> but let's say we were working in Tupelo, right? Is is or you know Woodbine, Iowa, population fourteen hundred, or North St. Louis, right, or wherever we'd be working, we'd look and we'd say, okay, minimally, how many people do we want to be bringing through our our program every year, and graduating and getting into jobs where they stay local, right? So, um, you know, like in a Woodbine, Iowa, fourteen hundred people total, that might be five people, right? Tupelo, that might be twenty five people, right? Uh, North St. Louis might be 50 people a year, but we're going to pick and we're going to say, this is the machine we're going to create. Right. And, you know, and it's a three-year pathway. So, um, you know, it's going to take you probably minimal two years to three years to get through it all. But again, majority of our individuals are going to start their junior year. So it's almost free time for them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, now, mid-career folks can do this too. Probably 15% of the people would be somebody like you or me saying, Hey, I want to transition. Right. And you could get through the whole thing in a year if you really, you know, bore down on it. And that's what you focused on. Um, but we we pair with communities. So it's, again, nobody just reaches out saying, hey, I want to be part of your program. You'd look at what we look for in a community. And if your community is a good match, then we'd have that conversation at a community level. Because, again, you know, think of, you know, how do you reverse gentrification, right? Is Because, you know, you know, the problem in big cities is, right, oh, they start reinventing and you know investing in an area and then all this money goes in and they start you know putting into buildings and restoring and now all of a sudden the people get pushed out right that live there right and they get you know you mean when i'm in san francisco or places like that it's just heartbreaking to hear people say yeah i used to live over there and i paid you know 1500 a month and now it's six thousand a month right and so i've got to drive two hours to get here for my you know twenty dollar an hour job and uh, you go, well, how do you take these people that live there, right, upskill them and then help them be part of taking the people that are there and creating better lives for them, right? Um, rural communities, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, you know, they're all different, Native American, urban, underserved and rural. Rural, it's, you know, people, you know, people don't think about it this way, right? But, you know, this whole you know, you've got to move. I mean, it's kind of like forcing migration inside of a country to, to get a job, right? And you think of what that does to those local economies. Um, it's it's devastating, right? To, to force all the youth to leave every year. And then, you know, we could take a whole session and just talk Native Americans and why they love this program, right? I mean, when we go to a um, like a, a rural high school or like, you know, in your community, again, we'd probably get 30 to 40% of the students to say, hey, I'll sign up for a class. Our last North Amer uh, Native American tribe we went to, 58% of all the kids said, if I had that opportunity, I'd sign up for that first course. 58% taking a software development course. Think about that. That is, I mean, typically, again, it's one to 2%, with 48% female. Because if you look at Native Americans, right, typically they've been put out in the middle of nowhere, right? And they get a great high school education. You know, the high school systems are. I find really good in the in the tribes I work with, um, but then what do you do when you graduate, right? And and you know, and we've asked tribal leaders to go, hey, well, why is it that you you have so much scholarship money that doesn't get used for for your colleges, but yet you've got one of the lowest attendance rates of any demographic, right? And they're like, well, Link, you need to understand, you know, there's only four thousand of us left on the planet of a people group, and you like to call us Native Americans, but you know, we're you know, Sac and Fox or Kiowa or Cheyenne, there's 374 like tribes in this country. And they're like, well, we're, we're a people group, right? And there's 4,000 of us left. And 
if our kids leave and go to college, we're done. Our whole people group, you know, our our our, our past, our future, our religion, our language, we're gone. So we encourage our kids to not go. But then do they work at the casino, the local guy? What can they do? Right. So we bring the full education pathway to them and we bring the job to them that they can stay. Uh, like there's one tribe I'm working with right now. We're focused on creating a, a technology job center, right? That will have 30 to 50 jobs right on the reservation. Um, that as people come through in you know, a modern high tech kind of place, but but on the reservation that the local communities around it too could work at also. Wow. That, you said something super interesting right there. 4,000 people and, you know, it's really, really interesting that the low percentage of population that goes to college and interesting to think about that that's the reason why. And I get it, right? I get that. And and I think that's why technology and, and being able to do things remote, school remote, work from remote is how how powerful that is. Having a solution like what you guys have is 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 so beneficial and helpful. I Man, that's awesome. I think that's great. Um, one, one last thing I wanted to ask you about is um, you, going back to the partial um, partial profit. Um, have you seen a notice of how a difference in the impact that that model makes compared to maybe a nonprofit or you know trying to get grants and those kind of things? Any any impactful changes that you guys are seeing through that model? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to take a, give you a few notes here, some highlights. You tell me if you want to go in, but obviously you can't take donations and it's harder to get grants because a lot of grant giving organizations only give to, um, um, you know, nonprofits, yeah. but there's some, you know, legally, if it aligns with the mission, like foundations can do either investments or, you know, low interest rate loans. Um, but, you know, since you've got some entrepreneurs on here, I want to share two in the nonprofit world. This is what I learned when I launched Night Moves as a nonprofit is, um, and, you know, if I shared like all the companies that have said, we want your graduates, right? I mean, Fortune 500 companies saying, can you send us 10 more? Can we get 20 more, right? But then you go to try to finding the funding for that as a nonprofit. And the first question you get after you show them and they go, well, this is incredible, is how long have you been, you know, have you been active four years, right? Or sometimes two years, but generally it's four years. And like, no, it's a, it's a new, you know, startup nonprofit. And they go out, you know, come back in four years. And I'm like, well, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you really see the needle moving for minorities that much where they feel like they're really advancing and getting part of inclusion in society? No. Okay. Do you see rural communities going backwards or forwards? Do you see native American communities improving or still digressing? Do you see any major? No, I don't see any. Okay, so let me ask you, and this is really when you talk about, you know, I don't want to get into a lot of my opinions, but when you talk about, you know, like systemic racism and exclusion, personal opinion, this is probably the only one I, I share my opinion on is, you know, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's like this big conspiracy of designing people to keep them back, but it's a great example of our foundations, right? The Because the point of foundations is so wealthy, this is an oversimplification, right? But the foundation is rich people give their money to foundations because they don't want a hundred people coming to them for money. They say, I give to this foundation, right? And then the foundation is their broker to, to distribute, right? The funds to the nonprofits. So give your money to foundations, they then found them on nonprofits. But 
not foundations don't want to take risks because if they make bad investments to nonprofits, then the people at the money go, you're not stewarding my money well. So they get uber risk conservative and say, we only put money into things that are four years old, right? They've been going. So I just ask them now in this system, how does anyone with innovation, entrepreneurial come in and change the game because there's no way to get funding? Because how do you, I mean, all you can do, and, they, and I would get this time after time is, well, hey, if you'll do it this way or you'll comply to these rules, you'll get money. And I'm like, well, ah, it's not going to work. <laughs> so, but so just a note there that if, you know, if the system is really rigged against innovation in the nonprofit world because the funding, unless you've got like a, a wealthy donor that could come along your side. And I'd say the other is if you're doing something really transformative, like, for us, it's three to four years to get that community engine going, right? You think about junior year, senior year, maybe a half a year, then finishing the program. And most federal grants want to see jobs in one to two years. So if you're going in and applying for a million dollars to transform a community and you're not creating jobs, you know, it's more of a fast food kind of thing, right? As these lower paying, they'd rather give money to something lower paying, not like, or to a really... I'm not going to name names of like cheap code camps, but these code camps where people come out and they really can't get a good job, right? But they completed a four-month code camp. Um, but I wouldn't hire out of one. Um, I mean, you know, just hiring 100 computer science graduates or more in my career. But but anyway, you've got the deck stacked against you because if you're doing something transformative, federal grants won't support you because it's, you know, longer than their two to at most three-year window. Foundations won't support you. So that's the other reason to go toward that, you know, social benefiting or limiting profit model is you're just not dependent on it. Now, then the next thing you do is you get a partnership with some nonprofits because they can apply for those grants as a nonprofit and then hire you to do the work. Right. So that that's another model that so we try to keep a really close relationship with like-minded nonprofit because in the end, who cares where the money goes? Are we solving the problem? Right. If they can apply for it and get it and then hire us. Because, you know, a nonprofit can hire any vendor they want to do it to solve a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, a nonprofit can win a grant and they don't have to spend it themselves. So, you know, there's a lot of creative ways to do this. I was going to do a Night Moves nonprofit and limiting profit, but the IRS, for very understandable reasons, right? You, you know, conflict of interest, you can't do that because then you're just money laundering between your organizations. But but you can partner with other nonprofits to do it. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm interested to uh, hear something, Link. So this is this is what you do full time now, right? Uh, this is yep. what you do. It's obviously something you're passionate about. I can hear it in your voice. What led to the decision to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. Like, what was the genesis of that? Uh, you know, I, I would say it's, um, you know, just seeing the need and not seeing it solved and yeah. saying, we've got to solve this, right? I mean, you... And, you know, just being driven crazy, too, of seeing us ship hundreds of thousands of jobs offshore. And, you know, you see people's companies, diversity and equity, you know, equity commercials. You see all the stuff government officials do. Like I meet with a lot of government officials and I just go, OK, can, can you put some minimal um, controls or visibility around all these jobs we're shipping offshore? Because you're doing a great job waving the American flag. But. <laughs> our jobs are shipping off. And, and this is not about exclusion of, you know, there's people in other countries who, who need these jobs too, but I'll, I'll share with you 
We're not internationally any place yet, but we'll probably be in Honduras first because we've got a relationship with a, uh, the second largest orphanage there. But our philosophy is, um, and this will be short, but like um, I've gone and I've interviewed software development shops in these other countries like Mexico, right? Where they've got a whole complex. And I'll say, okay, and how many of you work for, out of the 600 of you are doing work for non-US companies? Zero hands, right? So what happens is US companies get overseas, Costa Rica, you pick it, right? Train them, cheap labor here, preventing people here from doing it. But here's the thing, those emerging countries, because we don't like to use the word third world country, we like to use the word emerging, is um, is they don't get out of emerging status because they don't have the skills and the talent they need to invest in innovation and technology and people aren't starting businesses, right? So what our perspective is, go into a country like Honduras, go into these countries like Jamaica, Trinidad, right? Where, you know, Africa, get the people trained, but then get them jobs for the local government, get them starting their own businesses there, getting them working for the companies there that need what make us successful here, right? Is innovation and technology are a big part of our reason for success. Is how do we help these countries? Like, you know, whether you believe we need a wall or don't need a wall between us and Mexico, right? We all understand there's a reason that millions of people abandon everything in their lives to walk across having no, I mean, can you imagine packing your family up with this, which you can put on your back mm-hmm. and going someplace where you know no one? I mean, to, to be that motivated, you know how bad it has to be. We need to go fix those problems there too. So I'm not being, you know, America first is great, but let's do it all, right? Let's solve all the problems. But um, so you asked me a question, why did I do this? And obviously my passion comes out is we can't ignore the other countries, but let's also solve the other country problems where we're actually helping their economy, helping their businesses, helping them start their own small businesses, but actually giving a damn about the people in this country who we say we do, but then really don't do anything to actually help them. That was a little strong, but no, I love it, and and that's where I was going right there. Is is definitely to hear the passion in your voice of there. There is some kind of discontent within you, right? You see something that needs to be done, and instead of pointing the finger of that's not that that's not good, you raise the hand and said, "Hey, I want to offer a solution." Right? I love that, and um and and so let me ask you this, right? So you, you see a problem. Did you know how? you were going to do it up front or you, anyway, I'll leave it like that. That's very vague. Oh, and are you familiar with PPK, you know, lean startup? Is that part of your vernacular? You know, I, I know lean startup. startup. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that is definitely, you know, and what I've been doing for decades, right. Is you go in, you have something of value, but how do you put something in production and MVP as quick as you can, right. A minimal viable product and learn from it. Right. So everything along this journey has been like the first three months I pitched to high school kids. I'm totally bombed. None of them would be interested. Right. And had to get feedback. Right. And had to, you know, fail, have fail forward. Right. Um, and then COVID created our biggest problem of all, because originally our program was based on in most states. It's free to take in high school to take a dual enrollment community college course while you're in high school. So our plan was those first seven courses, partner with the community college, get them to do it, right? And then when they graduate, because the system's already there, why, you know, why change the system if it works? Well, 
COVID happens, work from anywhere explodes in computer science. And now you've got all these community college computer science instructors who were making 65,000 a year that can now make 90,000 a year, 100,000 a year. So they disappeared, right? So I would say we could go, whether it's nine community colleges in West Virginia I've met with, whether it's Ohio, whether it's Indiana, Iowa, you pick it, right? The number one problem I have is that strategy of counting on the community college system. They almost all just tell me, like Iowa has 15 community colleges, a great community college system. Eight of the 15 have our curriculum. One of the 15 can, can reliably provide the instructors for our courses, right? So we had to pivot from that because all of a sudden that infrastructure does not exist and it never will exist again, right? Because for computer science, still about 75% of the country, even though hybrid work's coming back, software development is one of those that's staying remote, right? It's about, I'd say 75% of companies don't plan on changing that where you can work remote. Um, so, so, so that said, you know, doing that, try something of value, it works, persevere, go, go more. I mean, we could take a whole session and just talk about all the pivot, persevering and killing we've done in this, but we had to come up with our whole training program ourselves to teach those seven courses. But the great news is our program's actually better now than the community colleges was. And we never even intended on doing that. But if you were to see how we do it and how innovative it is and how unique it is, because we did feedback sessions with students and said, you know, what works, what doesn't work, you know, online. We'll see about a 75% dropout rate of high school students taking online courses, right? I, I, on, you know, COVID has been a killer. I don't, you know, nobody's, you know, kids in high school cannot learn online in mass, right? They just, they get stuck, they get bored. And as soon as they get behind, they're lost, right? It's not like you or me where we just go start watching YouTube videos. They're going to go watch TikTok videos, right? <laughs> it's and not TikTok videos on how to solve this. Yeah. So um, anyway, there's been a ton of PPKing along the way, um, but you just got to keep, and it's fun, right? You go, you learn, and then you pivot and boom, right? And then you just keep making that pathway. And I'm hoping to PPK into some other career fields besides software development in the near future too. Nice. And that, that's awesome. And, and the reason I wanted to bring that out is because up front, you told us the, the awesome things that you guys are doing, how it's a, a, a very innovative, providing solutions, uh, everything that you just said and how awesome it was. But it started, it started with seeing a problem instead of being like most people of uh, saying, well, that's a problem and complaining about it. It didn't just complain about it, but said, hey, let's figure out a solution. So what, what I hope if you're listening, I hope this encourages you in something that if you see something that's a challenge or, or something that you're frustrated with, instead of offering up a complaint, let's become solutionaries, right? That's exactly what Link did. And he he's, you know, he said he's failing his way forward. That's exactly what you do. You don't start out at day one with this awesome solution that Link has right now. And I'm sure you're continually improving it. Um, but, but Link, you said in the beginning that you bombed it up front, but that's how you learn. That's how you learn. It's only once you act on something that you get feedback to know, how do you improve it? Was that the wrong decision? Well, now we can improve that. Right. And, um, so Link, you offer, man, that, that is so good. I love what you're doing. Uh, I love the impact. I love the heart. You can feel your passion for what you're doing and the impact you're making on the communities. Um, 
I, I really appreciate you coming on. And last thing before we wrap up is I would love for you to do once again, how do people connect with you if they want to find out more about what you're doing or, or get connected with you? And then if you got any piece of advice for that person that's sitting around and saying, I see these challenges, but where do I go from here? Any, any, any advice for them? Yeah, well, I'll start with that one and just say, start trying stuff and experimenting, right? There's only one pathway to experience and that's experimentation. So got to go discover, try things, see if you like it, right? Um, get, in, get in a good, you know, group of people that can love you and support you and, you know, tough love you too, right? Um, but to, to contact, uh, we're very accessible. If you go to nightmoves.org, again, night, like the chess piece, K-N-I-G-H-T.org. Um, click the contact us. It'll, it'll, it'll get to me generally within 24 hours, generally quicker than that. But, um, and, um, if there's anyone, you know, who wants to help with this, you know, we can't take donations, but what we can do is if you know, companies that need technology services or staffing services or recruitment process outsourcing, we have a very long list of services. You can, if you go to our website and click services and you can see everything that we do that um, you'd connect us with those companies. They're going to buy them anyway. And here's our pitch to companies, right? You're going to buy these services anyway. Why not buy them from somebody who's going to take your money and invest it in your technology or talent and helping those people who help need to help the most, right? I mean, it's a very simple model of, of kind of running a nonprofit as a for-profit, right? But we'll open our books. You can see how we spend our money, right? You can see your margin on... You know, we don't pay commission. We don't pay sales bonuses because our philosophy is if it sales is just communication. Here's what we do. Here's what the, we're the best at. And you need that problem solved. Now, instead of let's paying all those giant, you know, half a million dollar salaries for people who are just going to go aggressively and hound you to try to get you to buy something, just make the choice and then watch the money change the world and get a great service. That's awesome. Well, Link, you you uh, love what you're doing. Like I said, you've added a ton of value today and really, really appreciate you coming on. We, we bless you and what you do. And uh, thank you guys for taking a listen. I hope this has added value to you. If you know of any companies like what Link was uh, talking about there, make sure to share this episode with them or share the uh, nightmoves.org with them uh, or even any, any schools or anybody you think would benefit from listening to this episode, make sure to share with them. Make sure you like and subscribe. So you can stay up to date with any of our future episodes. And uh, Link, again, appreciate you. And uh, thank you guys. Hope you have an awesome day and God bless.